Let's pray together. Lord, we're thankful for who You are. We're thankful for Your love, for Your mercy, for Your grace that You've shown to us. Sinners, that You, our holy God, would come and pursue us in love and die on the cross for our sins. So we praise Jesus as our Good Shepherd, as we're going to read in the Word today, in Your Word today. I pray, Lord, that You just watch over the words that are spoken I pray, Lord, that they'll glorify and honor you. I pray that we can set aside distractions out of our hearts, out of our minds, and we can just be reminded of who Jesus is, that he's our good shepherd who lays down his life for his sheep, the good shepherd who loves us, the good shepherd who leads us, and the good shepherd who, again, died for us. So we love you, and in Jesus' name we pray this. Amen. And if you have your Bibles, you could turn to John chapter 10. We're going to be continuing our series throughout John's Gospel. And as you're turning there, I want to say this phrase that maybe it's a little dated or maybe you haven't heard it in a while, but I'm sure most of us have heard this phrase before. Have you ever heard someone say, well, it's a dog-eat-dog world? Right? Have you ever, you've heard that before? What they mean by that, if you don't know, is that people are willing to do anything to keep their power, their success, Their reputation in the corporate world, in the political world, in the movie industry, right? The movie world. There are countless stories of how bosses, how people in authoritative positions have abused co-workers and their employees, people under them, to selfishly keep their own power and their authority. And in the sad truth, it seems that in today's, and I'm going to use quotes for this, Christian church, there's a lot of Christian pastors who seemingly look like they're shepherds who would scandals come out and you're like how could this man possibly be a preacher how could be a pastor he's abused his flock he's abused the sheep of his church so this phrase dog eat dog world we looked at this last week where we see this connection the religious leaders the pharisees in john chapter 9 they have failed a member of their sheepfold They cast out a blind man from birth who was healed by Jesus because they didn't want to admit that Jesus is from God and that Jesus heals this man. So what do they do? They silence him by casting him out of really the Jewish worship life, the Jewish culture. He's no longer welcomed in the synagogues. And yet we see Jesus coming and restoring this man's physical sight and at the end his spiritual sight where Jesus reveals that he is the Son of God, he is the Messiah, And I love it, the man worships Jesus. And Jesus accepts his worship. So again, we see in these verses that we're going to read this morning, we're going to see and read words such as sheepfolds, sheep, shepherds. And what Jesus is going to use, he's going to use these imageries to compare himself as the good shepherd to the Pharisees, who I would say are the false or the hired hands, the bad shepherds. And you might not be familiar with all these different concepts and images, so as we get to them, I'll stop and I'll give a a little explanation from some studying and research I've been doing. But some truth that we see throughout the Old Testament is God is seen as shepherd to the Israelites, and that the Israelites, Israel as a nation, is the sheep of his flock. We see that all throughout the book of Psalms. Psalm 77, 79, 80, 95, 100, We see it in Ezekiel 34, Isaiah 40, Micah 7, Jeremiah 23, what we just read, Genesis 48. Most of us have this most famous psalm memorized or posted on on our wall in a picture frame or on a coffee mug, Psalm 23, the Lord is my shepherd. So we have these concepts in the Bible in the Old Testament, 
And the, the Pharisees, the Jews, the Israelites, they'd be familiar with what it means for God to be their shepherd and for them to be His sheep. So they're familiar. They acknowledge that God is their shepherd. They're heroes of their faith. We're also shepherds. You think of David, Moses, Abraham. Right? They, they would also physically see shepherds because where they're in the Middle East in this time period. They're shepherds. They could physically see them. We, however, do not. Right? We, we look out the field out there, and I, there's not a lot of geese out there today, but in the spring and summertime, there's geese. Or we don't have shepherds that are, that are kind of herding the sheep or, or the geese off these fields here. We, these are kind of foreign to us. Right? They're, they're just sort of in movies or in books or in pictures that we see. So as we get to these images, I'll stop, I'll explain them a little bit. But I want to make the point that the Jews would know what Jesus is talking about when he would say sheepfold, when he would say sheep, when he would say shepherd. So if you have your Bible, John chapter 10, let's read the first six verses together of John chapter 10. And this is picking up right where we left off last week. Jesus says this, Truly, truly, I say to you, he who does not enter by the sheepfold by the door, but climbs in by another way, that man is a thief and a robber. But he who enters by the door is the shepherd of the sheep. To him the gatekeeper opens. The sheep hear his voice, and he calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought out all of his own, he goes before them, and the sheep follow him, for they know his voice. A stranger they will not follow, but they will flee from him, for they do not know the voice of strangers. This figure of speech Jesus used with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. They're missing the spiritual points of why Jesus is talking about sheep, sheepfold, shepherds. So the first point of what we're going to see, if you follow along in your notes, the first is this, Jesus is the rightful shepherd. He's the rightful shepherd. I want to explain what a sheepfold is. In Jesus' times, there are two types of sheepfolds. There's one that's in the countryside, that's far away from society, far away from the villages, and there's another one that's located closer and on the outskirts of a city. The one that's closer to the city would, contain, would be big enough for it to contain multiple flocks from multiple shepherds. There'd be a lot of sheep there. We also see that they're more secure. They have really high walls, and sometimes they have shattered glass on top that would act as barbed wire. They had one doorway in and out, one gate. Oftentimes the shepherds would come in together and give money together collectively to hire a gatekeeper <clears throat> who again would what? Protect the sheep while the shepherds can go into town, get some supplies, or maybe get some rest. Right? It would allow the shepherd a time of rest. And what Jesus is doing is he's comparing two types of people that enter this sheepfold. The one that, that, that is probably closer to the city that has the gatekeeper. The first that he talks about are those who don't enter the correct way. They enter in, 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 an, in an illegal way. Right? They climb over the walls. They go through, you know, not the gate. And what they do is they try to take what's not theirs. Jesus calls them thieves and robbers. They have no regard, no concern, no love for the sheep, only what they can get out of the sheep. They will be rejected by the gatekeeper. Rightfully so. Why? Because they're not the leader, they're not the shepherd of the sheep. They don't belong to them. And this is alluding to the Pharisees. Right? The Pharisees are the, the, the self-proclaimed, the so-called shepherds, the spiritual leaders over the Israelites, over the Jews right now. 
but they're nothing but thieves or robbers who care more about their own power, their own authority, even if it means casting out a Jew from their fold, which we saw last week. So now we see the other side, the one who enters the sheepfold the right way, the correct way. The only legitimate way to enter is through the gate, the proper, the correct way. And this gatekeeper will allow access to the shepherd to freely gather what is his, what is theirs, their sheep. And this is Jesus. He is the one who is the true shepherd, the one who comes to gather his sheep. He isn't come to steal, to trick, to abuse, or to force, but rather he calls out and he gathers his sheep because they have an intimate relationship with him. If you look in your notes, so we saw that what? Jesus has the authority, but not only that, there's an intimate relationship. An intimate relationship, and especially between a sheep and their shepherd. When we call somebody a sheep in the real world, right? you've probably heard this a lot through COVID, with the mask mandates, oh, you guys are sheeps. Right? It's an insult. It's just saying you're blindly following without doing research. Or you're, fo- you're blindly following with, with, because the government said that. Or it was used as an insult to people. So if you call someone a sheep in today's world, they'll probably not take it as a compliment, but be like, what do you mean by that? They'd get angry at you. However, in the Christian world, right, as we say we are sheep of God's pasture, He's our shepherd, When we claim to be sheep, it's a compliment. It's a good thing. We rejoice in that. It means we follow and we depend on Jesus, our shepherd. We depend on Him to lead us, to protect us, to care for us, to lay down His life for us. Here are some characteristics about the nature of the relationship between sheep and shepherd. The first that we see from this text is that sheep hear their shepherd's voice. A sheep will recognize their master, their shepherd. There are stories of travelers who go to the Middle East and they meet real-life shepherds today. And what the shepherd will do, the shepherd will give them their, their clothes to wear. He'll tell them what to say to get the sheep over to them. He equips the, the visitor or the guest, with, or the tourist, with everything they need to get the sheep to them. And at the end of the day, the stranger, what, tries to call out the sheep. He says the commands. He's wearing the master's clothing. Yet the sheep are not able, they don't listen to the stranger. And then in the next instant, immediately the shepherd just does the same command and the sheep all flock to him. Right? It's, it's a beautiful imagery of the sheep knowing their shepherd's voice. Shepherds don't brand their sheep. Right? They don't like burn an iron and, and mark their sheep. They don't shave designs into their wool. They don't paint their sheep a different color. They, they don't mark them. When they enter the sheepfold, the shepherd, what does he do? He goes in and he calls out. He says the command, and his sheep and his sheep only come to him. They, they come to him. As much as we pick on sheep for being dumb, which we'll talk about a little later, they're not the most intelligent animals. I'm sorry if you're a sheep lover, but that's just the truth. right? They don't follow a stranger's voice. There's almost like this... this this imagery of man, it's been implanted them by God. Right? How a sheep can only hear their shepherd's voice and they recognize it's the bond between sheep and shepherd. They know their shepherd. The second characteristic that we see of their intimate relationship is that the shepherd calls his sheep by name. He knows them. A shepherd, when he takes his sheep out of the sheepfold, 
he'll closely examine each sheep. We know from Psalm 23, we have, there's two tools of a shepherd, his rod and his staff. The shepherd, as the sheep goes through the narrow gate, will put his rod in front of the sheep and stop the sheep in its place, and one at a time, the shepherd will take a few minutes to intimately and lovingly and gently make sure his sheep has no blemish, has no injuries, that they're okay. He'll examine them. He knows their sheep. It was also common to give them names. You would, he would give names to the sheep based on appearances or attitudes. And we would do this with dogs. I know there are some people who just name their dog, dog, because they think it's funny. But a lot of times, when, if you get an animal or a pet or a dog, you might name them based on how they look. Spot, if they have a spot on them, right? Something like that. It's this, this intimate, loving relationship. It's not just an animal to the shepherd, but rather, what? A relationship. There's love. And this time of inspection, as he puts his rod and inspects his sheep, it's not only good for the physical well-being of the sheep, but it also, what, forms the closer relationship emotionally together between sheep and shepherd. A good shepherd would also know which sheep is more prone to wander off, which one is prone to run away, which one is slow, which one is more likely to just fall over randomly and can't get up by itself. And the point I'm getting here, and I've said it over and over, there's this intimate relationship between sheep and shepherd. And I, I hope you're, you're, you're discovering and seeing that. And the last thing we see here that Jesus says is that a shepherd leads his sheep. He goes before them. A good shepherd will be in the front of the pack. He'll lead his flock. He'll go before them to make sure that the path, the terrain, they, they can navigate it, that there's not any cliffs or, or, or crevices or holes or anything like that. <clears throat> He'll also make sure there's, that it's free of predators, free of thieves. He'll make sure that there's nearby green pastures for the sheep to graze on. And interestingly enough, there's reports of sheep that just follow each other and they'll walk right off a cliff right after another, one right after the other. They'll, they'll, they're in single file line, they just follow where they're going and they walk off a cliff. There's also reports that some just literally walk into fire and burn. Like they just go where they're, where they're being led. And here's the point I'm making. Sheep without a shepherd die. Sheep without a shepherd die. Sheep are fully dependent on their shepherd to lead them to safe pastures, to protect them from predators. Sheep have no defense mechanisms. There's actually a Christian scholar who jokingly in his commentary said, if you want to know that evolution is false and that creation is true, look at sheep. They're the most helpless animal, yet they're still alive. right? Yet they fully depend on their shepherd. <clears throat> they have nothing going for them. If a predator comes, they'll eat and graze where, and they'll sit right where they're at while their neighbor's getting eaten alive. Or vice versa, maybe they'll, they might be afraid and, and, and they'll huddle together, but they'll stick their butt out. So if danger is coming to them, this is what they do. Now, that's more vulnerable. They're more vulnerable that way. Again, they fully rely on the shepherd to protect them, to take care of them. Without the shepherd, they die. Here's the end conclusion. A shepherd knows his sheep, but the sheep also know the shepherd. See the relationship? It goes two ways. The sheep... Know the shepherd, the shepherd knows the sheep. Just a spiritual connection here. Jesus has complete authority. He's the rightful shepherd of his flock. 
we read in Jeremiah, as Nick explained, he gave those warnings to the false shepherds in Israel and that there's one who is coming, the true shepherd, that's Jesus. And we see the relationship between Christian and Jesus, between sheep and good shepherd. Those who belong to Jesus, they hear his voice, they recognize it, they follow him, and they allow him to lead them. We see that in Ephesians 1. It says we've been chosen, we've been predestined before the foundations of the earth. We've been called out. In Psalm 23, we see this idea that the Lord is our shepherd. He leads us. But where does He lead us? He leads us beside still waters. And then it says to restore my soul. He leads us in paths of righteousness for His glory, for His namesake. And then it says, even if we walk in the valley of the shadow of darkness, even if we're going in a place where there's trial, where there's, where there's, there's just pain and suffering, we know that the shepherd is with us. Right? We rejoice in that. Take comfort and joy that Jesus, our Savior, our shepherd, intimately knows us. He calls us to follow Him and leads us as we navigate this life and into eternity. And in that same way, we can know Jesus Know God in an intimate and a relational way. God is a relational being. He's relational. He created us with a sense of relationship to Him and others. It's not normal for people to be by themselves. If you disagree, look at the studies of anxiety and depression after COVID. It's through the roof. Why? Because of isolation, of being by yourself. We're not made to be by ourselves. We're relational beings that were created by a relational holy God. By reading His Word, by praying, by abiding in our Good Shepherd's truth and love is how we can get to know Jesus. We can recognize His voice and follow Him. So number one, Jesus is the rightful shepherd. Let's pick up reading in, in verse 7 now. John 10, verse 7. So Jesus again said to them, Truly, truly, I say to you, I am the door of the sheep. All who came, came before me are thieves and robbers, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the door. If anyone enters by me, he will be saved and will go in and out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. He who is a hired hand and not a shepherd, who does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves and the sheep leaves the sheep and flees, and the wolf snatches them and scatters them. He flees because he is a hired hand and cares nothing for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father, I lay down my life for the sheep. Point number two in your notes. We see from Jesus characteristics of a good shepherd. Characteristics of a good shepherd. As I previously mentioned, there are two types of sheepfolds. We looked at the one that's closer to city limits where they have the higher wall, it's more secure, it's bigger, contains multiple flocks. The shepherds have a hired hand, a gate or a gatekeeper to keep watch over it. Now we're, we're, we're seeing Jesus allude to possibly the other sheepfold. And here's what I mean by that. The other sheepfold is more so in the wilderness. It's smaller. The walls aren't as high. There's still only one way in and out. 
But what's different is there's no gate. There's no door. There's just a small, narrow opening. And what would happen if the shepherds were out in the hillside or out in the wilderness, they would find these sheepfolds, or maybe they'd find one that was natural, like a natural cave or something, and they'd put their sheep in there, and they would actually lay down on the floor, and they literally became a door. Why? Because if anything's coming in or out, they have to go over the shepherd's body. They quite literally became the door. And in this text, we see Jesus claims, in verse 9, to be the door. He's claiming another I am statement. There's two of them here. I am the door. I am the good shepherd. And if you want to know more about that, last year I preached on these texts through the I am statements, and what Jesus is claiming is he's claiming the holy name of God by saying, I am. He's saying, I'm Yahweh. I'm God. And then he also gives a characteristic of his divinity, of him being the Messiah, the Savior. So in this text, Jesus is claiming the name of God four times. I am the door twice. I am the good shepherd twice. In this promise to be the door, we see that Jesus promises to protect His sheep. Not only that, in Jesus we have safety. We have security of salvation. In verse 9 it says, If anyone enters by Me, he will be saved. That means Jesus is the exclusive, one and only way for eternal life. You might hear people in the world say, well, that's your truth, and you know, I think all religions lead to heaven. Jesus would disagree. God's Word disagrees. Jesus says, I am the only way. I am the only door. And it's only when you enter and come through Me, you will be saved. One and only. In verse 9, He says, you'll go in and out and find pasture. And I preached on this last year, and that alludes more to the freedoms that we have in Christ. The Christian liberties and the love we have of sheep and shepherd. A good and a loving shepherd will not leave his sheep in the sheepfold a minute longer than he needs to. The sheepfold serves its purpose. It's a temporary safe space for them at night, but in the day they need to go out and graze in green pastures. If they're stuck in the sheepfold, there's not a single blade of grass that grows there. It's all trampled dirt. It's usually they're in their own feces as well. And not only that, but there's no protection from the sun up above. So they'll melt, not melt, but they'll, they'll burn. And in that same way, again, the sheep need to be led out to graze and to survive and feed on green pastures. It would be abusive for the shepherd to leave his flock in the sheepfold all day. And I was just thinking, there are often times in the morning or in the night where Naya wakes up and she's crying and crying and crying. And we wait a little bit and we keep an eye on the time. And when it gets to be too much, we have to go in there and comfort her. Now, I'm not trying to argue different parenting techniques here, but this is what I'll say. If it's 7 o'clock in the morning and Naya's ready to get up for the day, guess who's up and ready for the day? Me and Stephanie. We have to be. It would be abusive for me to say, I'm going to turn the monitor off. I'll, put the, I'll snooze my alarm, and whenever I get up, then, then I'll get Naya out of the crib. No, that is abusive. That's mean to leave her trapped in her crib. And I argue the same way between the sheep and the shepherd. They do not leave them in the sheepfold a minute longer than they need to. In the same way, in Galatians 5, Paul tells us that we have freedom in Christ. We're free in Christ. Not free to sin. We don't have a license to sin. But we're free in Christ. We have liberties in Christ. In verse 10, Jesus says this, I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. 
I want you to remember that word, abundantly. His promise is what? Abundance. Abundant life. Often thieves would try to come and steal sheep in the sheepfold, but since sheep can't follow a stranger's voice and they don't listen to the thief or the robber, they usually end up killing the sheep in the sheepfold if they sneak in and they throw the meat or they throw the wool over the walls and then they leave. As we mentioned earlier, sheep are not known for being smart animals. They have no defense mechanisms. They're fully reliant on their shepherd to take care of them. In that same way, when the Pharisees, or where the Pharisees came as false shepherds to steal, to kill, destroy, Jesus claims the opposite. I came to give life, to give it what? Abundantly. To give an overflow of it. Last year I had a little dropper and I said, Jesus doesn't come into our lives and give us, okay, a little, little drop there. Okay, you get a little drop of life there. No, overflowing abundance of life. Abundance of love. Jesus is the only one who has the authority to do that, to give us life. Why? Because he defeated death. We can trust in our good shepherd's promise. The next thing we see, letter B in your notes, is Jesus is the good shepherd who lays down his life. Lays down his life. Verse 11. At the first sign of danger, a good shepherd will defend their sheep, even if it means risking their lives. Think about what David said to King Saul when he goes and he's, he's seeing Goliath, what, taunt the Israelites? He's bullying them, he's picking on them, and no one's stepping up to challenge Goliath. This is what David says to Saul. David said to Saul, this is 1 Samuel 17, your servant used to keep sheep for his father. David's talking about himself. And when there came a lion or a bear and took a lamb from the flock, I went after him and struck him and delivered it out of his mouth. And if he arose against me, I caught him by his beard and I struck him and I killed him. Your servant has struck down both lions and bears and this uncircumcised Philistine shall be like one of them. Man, the courage, the boldness, the trust that David had in the Lord. For he has defied the armies of the living God. David says to Saul, I'll go out, I'll defend God's name because you won't. And they're arguing, David, you're a little boy, what do you know? What do you know about war? Goliath's been in war longer than you've been alive. And this is David's comeback. Now, physically speaking, I don't think I'd make a good shepherd. I'd get a little intimidated if there's like a, 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 an average-sized dog coming close to me let alone fighting bears and lions. Are you serious? David's saying he, he would take him by the beard. He's not talking about a man there. He's talking about a beast, an animal, to defend his flock. Again, the courage there, the love for the sheep from the shepherd. In these verses, Jesus continually uses the phrase, lays down life, or lays down my life, lays down their life. He says it five times in verse 11, in verse 15, in verse 17. In verse 18, twice. And there's a really simple understanding. If something's repeated in the Bible in close proximity to to it again, it's important. It stands out. It's worth mentioning. So we see, again, Jesus, our good shepherd, is saying what? A good shepherd's willing to lay down his life for his sheep, defend them to the point of death. And here we have the spiritual side of that. Jesus dies on the cross for our sins. 
These verses point us to the mercy, the grace, the compassion of our God. That God came and took on flesh, humbled Himself, and for those who are in Christ, we've been delivered from the curse of sin. In a symbolic sense, Jesus, our Good Shepherd, has fought and delivered us from the wild animal of sin and evil, of sin and death. And with this, Jesus compares Himself to the hired hands, which are the Pharisees, the leaders of the time. Their behavior echoes what we read in Jeremiah, where God warns these false shepherds of judgment. The hired hand might have authority over the sheep. Why? Because he's hired by the shepherd. He's tasked with watching them. But according to Jesus, when the predators come, they run away. They run away because they have no concern for the sheep. They care more about their own lives. Compared to the good shepherd, they have no relationship or love with the sheep. They're just animals. They care more about self-preservation. It reminds me of what Jude writes in his letter. He's talking about apostates, apostasy, and false shepherds, false teachers. He says apostates are like shepherds who feed themselves. It's this imagery of a shepherd who's at this grand buffet, stuffing his face, eating and being satisfied while his sheep are starving to death. That's abuse. That's not love. And that's what Jesus is pointing at the hired hands. They care nothing for the sheep. There's like shepherds who feed themselves. They care about themselves. Listen to Jesus' love for his sheep. Matthew chapter 9, verse 35. Jesus went all throughout all the cities and villages, teaching in their synagogues, proclaiming the gospel of the kingdom, and healing every disease and every affliction. When he saw the crowds, he had compassion for them, because they were harassed and helpless like sheep without a shepherd. We have a God who has compassion for His creation and in love comes and saves us from our sins and draws us into a relationship with Him. Jesus cares for His sheep. And if you're like, well, prove it. Just look in John chapter 8, John chapter 9. Jesus heals this blind beggar. He restores his sight, but He also restores his spiritual sight. He gives him something much better than his physical eyesight. He gives him eternal life. He reveals Him as the Son of God and, and this man worships Jesus. He gets who Jesus is. In John chapter 8, a woman's caught in adultery. By every letter of the law, she's guilty. She deserves the punishment. She deserves the death sentence. And we see the compassion of Jesus to forgive her sin. We see compassion from Jesus. And in verses 14 and 15, we see the knowledge of the Good Shepherd Knowledge, uh, under point two, letter C, knowledge. As a shepherd knows their sheep intimately, Jesus claims to know us. He claims that he, he knows you if you are in Him, if you abide in Him, if you've been adopted as sons and daughters of the King. He knows you. You're His sheep. We intimately and know that we can trust Him and know Him the same way. He goes as far as to say this, that just as the Father knows the Son, and the Son knows the Father, right? The relationship amongst the triune God, God the Father, God the Son, Jesus knows us with that same intimate, deep, loving knowledge. He's speaking of a close, personal relationship between God and man through Jesus, our Savior. In John chapter 15, if you could turn there, it's just a few pages a little further in your Bible. 
John chapter 15, verse 9. This is where Jesus has another I am statement. He claims to be the vine, I am the vine. John 15, verse 9. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Abide in my love. The same love that God the Father has for the Son is the same love that Jesus the Son has for us, His sheep. What a beautiful reminder. If you're feeling lonely, depressed, not loved, neglected, abused, remember that. The same love within the triune God is the same love in which the Son, Jesus, our Savior, loves us, His sheep. In Psalm 139, if you want to just write that down, David is writing, and, and, and to paraphrase it in a way, God knows us. He knits us together in our mother's womb. He knows us. He has a knowledge of us. And this word to know, right? what, what it's alluding to is this intimate relationship that's between a husband and a wife. It's to know fully. There's no secrets. There's, there's, there's nothing hidden. It's to know fully. Think of the gate inspection of the sheep with, by the shepherd. This time of knowing, this time of intimacy. Again, shepherds know which sheep are the troublemakers. Which sheep need to be you know, reined in with the, with the staff a little bit. Which one might need the rod in the butt maybe once in a while. They, they know their sheep. And that knowing goes both ways. As Jesus knows his sheep, we can know him. We have a God that we can have a relationship with. A personal relationship with. For the sake of time, I'm, I'm going to keep moving here. Point number three. We see one flock and one shepherd. Verses 16, let's read verse 16. And I have other sheep that are not of this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Under Jesus, our good shepherd, there's going to be one flock, he says, who are united by the shepherd. And I would argue they're united by the death and the resurrection, the blood of Jesus. His flock is going to consist of both the Jews and Gentiles. The sheep that are not of this fold, it alludes to the Gentiles. He says, I must bring them also. The Jewish leaders, Israel, was supposed to bring in the Gentiles into God's fold. They were in Isaiah told to be a light to all the nations. Rather, what ended up with the Israelites is this prideful feeling of, well, I'm God's chosen, and you're not, so you're bad, you're pagan, you're evil, you're, I'm God's chosen, He loves me. <clears throat> There's this racial tension and pride. And we see all throughout the New Testament, we see this prophecy or this promise from Jesus being fulfilled by the Apostle Paul in some of the letters he writes in Romans 11. He talks about the Gentiles being grafted into true Israel. That there's a remnant of Israel. We see in Ephesians 2, uh, I'm not going to read it, but Ephesians 2, starting at verse 11, if you want to write that down, notice the language that, that, that Paul uses. Those who, are, who were far off from the promise, from the covenant, the uncircumcised, the Gentiles, are now brought near. They're brought together. They're unified as one body under Christ. In Galatians chapter 3, we read that there's neither uh, Greek nor Jew, 
nor male nor female. And that's talking about salvation being available for all people. That salvation is not just for one sect or culture or group of people, but rather for all who believe in Christ. We see in Acts 9 when Paul encounters Jesus, his ministry was going to be to the Gentile people. And Jesus says back in, in John, they will listen to my voice. The sheep are going to listen. As Jesus calls out, his sheep are going to respond. There, and I put a little question here. How can we make sure we are, we are in Jesus' fold? We recognize that God has called us to Himself. Recognize the holiness of God, who He is. The second is respond to Him in faith. Respond in faith and repentance. The third is to run to Him in obedience. Recognize God, respond to Him, run to Him in obedience. That's what it means to listen to our Good Shepherd's voice. And we'll keep reading. Verse 17. For this reason the Father loves me because I lay down my life that I may take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have authority to lay it down and I have the authority to take it up again. This charge I have received from my Father. We see here Jesus willingly and voluntarily sacrificing His life for you and for me. He says, I lay it down of my own accord. My own choosing. Yet God the Father wasn't twisting God the Son, Jesus' arm in this way of like, you're going to do it and you're going to like it. That's not what we see in the nature of of the Trinity and and their relationship and, and God's plan of redemption. Some people say that. They say, well, you know, God seems like the abusive Father that He made His Son come down and die. What an abusive father. We see here Jesus knew what he was doing. He chose this. He decided. He was in line and in perfect agreement with the Father's plan for redemption. That he would come and bear our sins. Why? Because of his love, his grace for us. We see again God's plan of redemption. Jesus says, this charge I've received from my Father. We know in John chapter 10 and John chapter 6 that the father gives sheep to his son. In John 6, after he says, I am the bread of life, Jesus says, all that the father gives to me will come to me. So as God gives, they come to Jesus. Turn a few pages. I, I know it's a little bit longer a sermon today. I'm almost done, I promise. John 17. I have to read this. John 17. This is Jesus' prayer hours before his betrayal. John 17 and verse 1 Just listen to some of the language here as you see the relationship between Father, Son, and the Trinity, but also the plan of redemption and what God has given to Jesus. Verse 1, When Jesus had spoken these words, He lifted up His eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your Son that the Son may glorify You. We talked about that. Jesus on earth glorifies the Father and the Father glorifies the Son. Since You have given Him, there's the word, given Him authority over all flesh, to give eternal life to all whom you have given Him. I think you're catching the emphasis. And this is eternal life, that they know you, the only true God, and Jesus whom you have sent. I glorified you on earth, having accomplished the work that you gave me to do. And now, Father, glorify me in your own presence with the glory that I had with you before the world existed. Verse 6, I have manifested your name to the people whom you gave me out of the world. Yours they were, and you gave them to me, 
and they have kept your word. Now they know that everything that you have given me is from you. You, know, you notice the connection here. Jesus freely surrenders. He freely surrendered and gave up his life on the cross to purchase us, to claim us, to, to what? To reconcile, to bring us to his fold. He is the good shepherd who laid down his life for his sheep. He saves us from the eternal punishment of sin, which is death. But equally as important, we read in John chapter 10 that he takes it up again. That death isn't the end of the story. Death isn't just the end. It's like, oh, oh, that was a nice story. I'm so glad that, you know. No, he what? Three days later rises again. And that death wasn't the end. His power and authority that Jesus resurrects himself, proving he's more powerful than death. That's why Christians, that's why we get so excited about the Resurrection Sunday, Easter time, because that's what we remember. That's what we highlight and focus on. That is the pillar of our faith. That Jesus controls life. And we can trust in Him to come through on the promise to give life. Revelation chapter 1, same author of John's Gospel, John, writes, When I saw Him, Jesus, I fell at His feet as though dead. But He laid His right hand on me, saying, Fear not, I am the first and the last and the living one. I died, and behold, I am alive forevermore. Now this is Jesus. I have the keys of death and Hades. Who has authority over life and death? Jesus. And let's end this section. Verse 19. John 10, verse 19. There was again a division. You thought we'd be safe from that word for one week. We're not. There is that word again. Division among the Jews because of these words. Many of them said, he has a demon. We've seen that again over and over. He has a demon. He is insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open up the eyes of the blind? Right, And that's going back to John chapter 9, what we just read last week. The overall question as I end is, who is Jesus? Who is Jesus? Is he a demon-possessed crazy man? Or is he from God? Or is he God, as we read in John 1.1? Jesus is the good shepherd who came to gather his flock to himself and to redeem us by dying on the cross. He purchased us with His blood. He unites all believers together around the world as one flock with one shepherd. <laughs> Maybe I shouldn't have held up two. One flock, one shepherd. He is the door. Let me say again. He is the door. The only way to get to heaven. The first song we sang, it's actually an old hymn that was contemporized in tenderness. I don't know if you caught the theme I was trying to go with that song, and, and, and this is what verse 1 says. In tenderness he sought me, weary and sick with sin, and on his shoulders, as a shepherd would carry his sheep, on his shoulders brought me back to his fold again. While angels in his presence sang, until the courts of heaven rang, Oh, the love that sought me, oh, the love, oh, the blood that bought me, oh, the grace that brought me to the fold of God. Grace that brought me to the fold of God. Let's pray. <clears throat> Jesus, we praise you. We thank you for who you are. That you are the door. You are the only way in and out of the pasture. You're the only way for salvation and for life. And we praise you as our good shepherd.
that all who are in you are part of your fold, that you loved us so much that you willingly died on the cross for our sin, that all that you have been given from the Father has come to you, that you collected, you redeemed us, you purchased us at the cross with your death and your resurrection. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here that just needs to be reminded of why they should trust in you, I pray they remember these verses that we read in Revelation that Jesus, you hold the keys to death, to Hades, to life. You're the only one who can fulfill the promise to give life. We praise you, Lord, where the world might fail us, where families might fail us, our parents, our our children, our bosses, our friends might fail us. We know you never will. You love us as a shepherd loves his sheep, an intimate, knowing, comforting way, and that we can have a personal relationship with you. I pray, Lord, if there's anybody here this morning that doesn't know you as their shepherd, as their personal Lord and their Savior, I pray that by the power of the Holy Spirit, by the conviction of him, that you'll draw them to know you in a personal way. We thank you, God, for loving us, for pursuing us, and for dying for us. And we praise you. And it's in your name we pray this in. Amen.